So birthdays come around every year. It's, it's got, I was telling some of the people that logged on a little earlier, uh, you know, that there's one birthday that you only celebrate for half a minute, and that's your 32nd birthday. So you can use that one if you would like. But uh, birthdays come around every year, and uh, one of the things that I love about birthdays is getting gifts for my kids. I love buying gifts for my kids. I love seeing their faces as they unwrap their presents. And, uh, you know, when you get a kid a toy that they've been wanting, it brings such light to their eyes as they're opening the wrapping and they, they lay their eyes on that box for the first time and they look at it and they, you see the wonder of their new adventure about to unfold. Uh, the thing is, it's not their adventure that's about to unfold. It's yours, Dad, because the picture is glorious and exciting, but the words down in the left-hand corner of the box are dread-filling, and that is some assembly required. Those words have struck fear into the hearts of many a dad on a birthday or a Christmas morning when they see some assembly required, and they know that word some is a very relative term. In fact, you're gonna to have to put this entire thing together before your child can have any entertainment value whatsoever. Uh, and it's kind of a parable for our lives when you think about it. We see a box top of what we're supposed to be like. We know how we're supposed to turn out, if you will, uh, but there's a lot of work to be done to get us there. Before we finally get to that place where we're who we're supposed to be, uh, we have a really churchy word that is used to describe this process, and the Bible has a lot to say about it, and that word is sanctification. And, and sanctification is the lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus, if you want to reduce it to a soundbite. And what it means is you're not done. You are not finished yet. Now, there is a component of sanctification, and I'm going to get just a little geeky on the theological scale for a second, but there is a component to sanctification that is instantaneous, that when you make the decision to follow Jesus, God, you are born again, you are a new creation, that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your old sinful self, he sees Jesus, he sees the new person, so he doesn't see our sin anymore. So there is an instantaneous component of sanctification. But then there's the other side of it in that it is progressive, it's lifelong, it keeps going. Uh, and for the rest of our lives, we're gonna be continuing to develop in our faith and in our character that the Holy Spirit continues to work within us. And what it means is we're not done, we're not finished. God still has work to do in you. And as he does work in you, he also does work through you. And that's really good news. First, uh, the Thessalonians 5 is where we want to look today with regard to this uh, process that we term sanctification. First Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 begins this way. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. Now the key phrase here is make you holy, which also means sanctify, set you apart, make you holy in every way. Some other translations 
on this particular passage will say sanctify you completely. Sanctify you through and through. And make, another way they say it is make you pure belonging only to him. That's all found in this one phrase, which is make you holy in every way. Now, this is a prayer from Paul for the Thessalonian church. This is a prayer for something that hasn't happened yet. Paul is, is praying for something that he wants God to do in their lives. Paul is asking God to continue this work that he's already started in these Thessalonian followers of Jesus. So it has begun, but Paul's saying, God, would you please continue this? Let this drive it home. And we know all too well that it hasn't happened yet because we looked in the mirror this morning. We looked in the mirror, we saw who we are, and we aren't completely holy in every way. I don't know about you, when I look in the mirror, I see somebody that has a long way to go. Most of us don't feel very close to that on a good day. We've all got a long way to go to hit the target that Paul is describing here. And this prayer comes at the end of his letter to the Thessalonians. So he's gone through all sorts of topics and he's taught them and he's challenged them and he's encouraged them. And this is the benediction. This is the closing prayer before he sends them out to go do what he's challenged them to do. And we could paraphrase this prayer kind of like this. Lord, I have done all I can. I've taught these people all that I know to teach them. You've got to take over now because unless you help them, they have no chance of turning out the way they should turn out. Which brings me to kind of the, a, a real-life definition of sanctification. Sanctification is everything God does in your life to make sure you turn out right. It's all the stuff that God brings to the table. It's the stuff the Holy Spirit works within you. It's the circumstances that surround you, that help shape you and define you. It's the challenges that God allows to come into your life. It's the opportunities that he gives you. It's all of these things. It's everything God does in our lives to make sure that we turn out right. It is the assembly in some assembly required. This is what God is doing in us. And God has invested in us pretty heavily. He's, he's, I mean, he's paid the price of the life and death of Jesus. That's the investment that God has made in you and in me. Sanctification is, is a divine guarantee that God's investment is not going to be wasted. That God will finish what he starts. So in some ways, sanctification is God's commitment to us. That we're going to make it. And God is personally overseeing that process. But, and, and it's not the fun part, we're not finished yet. I wish I was. I wish I was holy, perfectly holy in every way. I wish I looked in the mirror and I just saw Jesus looking back at me. I wish that was where I was, but unfortunately it's not. There's still some assembly required. I, I saw someone wearing a t-shirt one time and it had these initials on it. P-B-P-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. And I'm like, I have no idea what that means. And I was intrigued. So I, I actually like memorized the letters and I, I looked it up and I found this. Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. Uh, that statement is completely biblical because we are not finished yet. We have a long day to go. And, and some days that's more painfully real than other days. You know, I have some days where I'm like, okay, I'm going to make it. I'm doing well. I'm making progress. I'm growing in my faith. I'm growing in my knowledge. 
Uh, I'm treating people the way God would have me treat people. There are days where I'm like, it's all clicking. And then there are other days where the wheels just fall off the truck and I am not treating people the way I'm supposed to be treating them. My attitude stinks. My thoughts are going in completely wrong directions. And it's like, God, what happened? And what it comes down to is I'm not finished yet. And I'm sure you've had those kind of days too. And that's why we pray. That's why we read the word. That's why we seek God. Because someday we will be finished. And this is all part of that process called sanctification. And Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians here is really a crash course in sanctification. Paul explains a lot in just these two short lines of his prayer. And the first thing we learn from Paul is found in the, the first part of verse 23. And that's in 1 Thessalonians 5.23a. If you've never seen that designation before, uh, when you write a scripture reference 523a, it means the first part of the verse. And then if you see b, it's the next part of the verse. If you see c, it's the part after that. So you can break down a verse uh, just by using letters there. So 1 Thessalonians 523a says, now may the God of peace. And so what he's doing is, is he's proclaiming this benediction. He's making this prayer and, and he's designating who is the person that is going to get the job done? May the God of peace. It seems pretty simple, right? It's pretty standard intro to a prayer. But here's the powerful reality that could be very easy to gloss over as you just read Paul making this statement, now may the God of peace. And that is this, only God can make you better. Only God can do this work in you to grow you spiritually, to bring you into, uh, to bring you along into this faith story. You can read all of the self-help books in the world. And the irony of self-help books is that a self-help book is someone else trying to help you. So I, I don't get that whole genre of book. But God is the author of life. And he's also the author of new life in us. He's the one who is writing that story. And our role is not to try to do it on our own. Our role is to cooperate with God in the process. Our role is to yield to the Holy Spirit, to allow him to do a work in us that we couldn't do ourselves. And really what we have to do is submit to his authority, to his leadership, to his guidance, to his lordship, and allow him to do that work in us. God is the author and God is the source of all spiritual progress. We can forget that sometimes though. We can get off track by thinking that we're kind of calling the shots and we're moving in the right direction. Sometimes we lose focus in our war against sin and we try to get better on our own. And I'll just tell you, that never really goes well. When we start to fight in our own strength, when we try to do things uh, in our own abilities and our own talents, it's not going to end well. We forget to ask for God's help. We forget that it's his weapons that we fight with. Or maybe we achieve a victory and, and we start to get cocky about it. See, look what I did. I've got this. And yet John 15 verse 5, Jesus kind of shoots that in the foot. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There, there's nothing we can do on our own. We, we are able to do these things because we abide with Christ, because we are connected to him. He uses the, the metaphor of the vine and how we are grafted into this vine. And as long as we are connected to Jesus, 
that we now have this ability and we have supernatural strength and power through the Holy Spirit to become and to change. But that's only through God's power at work within us. Paul reminds us of this in the beginning of his prayer when he says, may the God of peace. It is God's job. And that's, that's challenging because we have to yield and submit. But here's the other part. It's freeing because it's not on you. It's not on me. It's not my responsibility to grow me and to change me into the image of Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. And we just have to cooperate with him. So where does Paul go next? The next thing Paul does is reminds us of the destination of where we're going in this life and more importantly, beyond. And that's in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, part B. May he make you holy in every way. May he make you holy in every way. And the phrase in every way here is translated from a unique two-part Greek word. It's a compound Greek word. And uh, that word combines whole and in the end. Whole and in the end. And God has made it clear that all of his children, without exception, every one of us who is a follower of Jesus, will be made complete and whole in the end. Now, we are not that way now. You're not that way now. I'm not... We are flawed, we are broken, and we struggle. But here's the thing, we are struggling forward. We're broken, but we're being mended. We're flawed, but God sees the potential around that flaw. There's still some assembly required, but God is in the process of assembling. And one day when we stand before the throne, one day when we arrive in heaven and we stand before the throne, we will have attained the perfection that Jesus died to bring us. It's kind of incredible to think about that, especially when we think about who we are now and all the hangups we have and the problems that we face and the struggles that we go through, that one day when we stand before the throne of God, we will be perfect as Jesus is perfect because God will have made us that way. And can we all just stop for a second, you know, as, as, we, as we think about this? Right now in the middle of your brokenness, in the middle of your job crisis, in the middle of stay-at-home quarantines, in the middle of your messed up marriage, in the middle of your faith struggles, with all of the chaos and problems that we face as we go through this sin-filled world on our way to eternity, I want you to stop and remember this promise from God for you today. You will be made whole in the end. You will be made whole. This is not a question. If we are following Jesus and we are yielding to his authority in our lives and we are cooperating with the Holy Spirit in the work that he wants to do in us, we will be made whole in the end in every way, complete. We are not finished but we will be. We're not completely clean today, but we will be. And that promise will see us through each and every day that we wade through the chaos of this life. This is a job so impossible that only God would attempt it. Some of us take 30 years, some 40, some 50 plus, and the job still isn't done. Today, we are holy on occasion. We are holy in places. But here's this powerful truth. When God is finished, we will be made holy in every way. It kind of blows my mind to think about because I can't view myself in that way. But here's what's awesome. God already sees me that way. Now next, Paul shows us that God's work has no limits 
And God works its way through every part of you. And that's 1 Thessalonians 5.23c, the third part of verse 23. And may your whole spirit and soul and body. So Paul is kind of describing in more detail what does God want to do? What kind of changes does God want to make in your life? What is he bringing you through? And he describes it, your spirit, your soul, and your body. That is complete. That is total. There's nothing that is untouched here. Paul wants us to know that God intends to renovate the entire person. Everything. Nothing will be left out. Nothing's going to be overlooked. Every part will be made perfect in the end. And I want you to think for a second. Imagine you could change anything about yourself. If you were to ask 100 people, that question, hey, if you could change anything about yourself, what would it be? I'm guessing that 90 of those 100 people would probably start with the outside. You know, would you be skinnier? Would you be taller? Would you be shorter? Would you be better looking? Would you be stronger? Would you change your eyes, your hair, your teeth, your legs, your shape? If you could snap your fingers and change your outward appearance, would it be just a light touch-up or would it be an extreme makeover? You know, and I think most people would start there. Because that's where most people's focus is. It's on the outside. But as hard as it is to change the outside, it seems infinitely harder to change on the inside. And it's on the inside that people change slowly, if at all, especially when we try to do it on our own. And think about who you are on the inside. What would you change there? And these are the things that we struggle to even be honest with ourselves, let alone communicate to other people. But are we impatient? Are we critical? Are we jealous? Do we live with discontentment, never satisfied? Are we living with resentment towards someone? Do we struggle with lust? Is financial mismanagement something that we, we wrestle with all the time? Are we stubborn? Do we have a judgmental spirit? Do we have a quick temper? Are, are, do we have a lack of gratitude in our lives? Or are we a procrastinator? These are the things that God is concerned about, not the first list. All that stuff is cosmetic. How do we know that God's not concerned there? 1 Samuel 16, 7 tells us, The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So God's not looking at you and saying, Man, you are messed up. I got to change. You, you need to start working out more, bro. Now, does God want us to take care of our bodies? Yes. Does God want us to steward well this gift that he's given us in, in this body that we go through life with? Yes, he wants us to do that. But God is more concerned with the heart, with the internal issues. Because here's the thing. Most of the time when there's an outside issue, uh, let's say uh, you know I, I struggle with maintaining my weight the way I would like it to be. For me, now there are some people who have health issues that lead towards that. For me, it's because I'm sitting in a chair too much and not walking or running the way I should. And I'm going back for seconds and sometimes thirds instead of stopping with the one portion that I should have. That's not an external problem. That's an internal self-control issue that I have in my life. And here's the good news of the gospel. How we are going to be changed. All of these things I mentioned and a thousand more. God is dealing with all the stuff about ourselves that drives us crazy and our spouse probably crazier will be gone forever. So the question is when? When is this going to happen? When will we achieve what I just described? 1 Thessalonians 5.23, the final part. 
be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. And that's the finish line, folks. That's when it happens. When Jesus comes back, when we finally head to heaven, when every promise of God is fulfilled and completed in one moment, not one of us gets there in this life. We will never achieve that in this life, but every one of us is promised it in the next. When God is finished with us, and when he comes back to call us home for eternity, we will stand blameless in his presence. And just in case we start to think highly of ourselves, Paul hits us with this next. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. And guys, this is such a huge concept, uh, and I don't want any of us to miss this. Our entire hope, everything that our hope hinges on, both in this life and in the next life, rests on the faithfulness of God. That's where your hope lies. It's in God's faithfulness, not on your efforts, not on your ability, not on your dedication or your stick to itiveness. His faithfulness is what carries the entire weight of our small, feeble efforts that we make. Do you know what we are today? We are the unfinished children of God. We are the some assembly requireds. That's who we are. We are all under construction. I grew up in Chicago suburbs, and we used to joke growing up in Chicago that really there were only two seasons of the year. There was winter and there was construction. The roads were constantly being repaired. It was a nightmare. And then I moved to Dallas, and I realized that here it's always construction. It never stops. I'm pretty confident that during the 1800s, somebody was filling a pothole on 35E. It just is always being worked on. I've lived here, and I haven't lived here that long. I think, what, six years, seven years? I don't know. But for the whole time that I've lived here, 35 has been under construction. It just never stops. That's kind of how it is for us. That's kind of how it is for, for what we're going through in our spiritual story. There's only one season for us. We're always under construction. And as we all know, construction is lengthy, it's loud, it's noisy, and it's really messy. God never stops his work because there's so much work that needs to be done. And God has to work in us and on us before he can work through us. Let me say that again. God has to work in us and on us before he can work through us. Listen to this verse in Romans 8, 29. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. And this is what I want you to understand. God knew who you would become and he's already determined your destiny, how you will turn out. At the onset of your spiritual story, right when it began, the final chapter had already been written. You will look like Jesus. When you prayed a prayer as a child, or maybe in your 20s after college, you, you made the decision to start attending church, or maybe when you had kids, you're like, we better get involved in church, that's important, and and you heard the message of the gospel and you understand what God did for you and, and how we need a savior in our lives. And you made the decision to commit your life to Jesus and to follow him. And I want you to know that from that moment, God knew your destiny. He was pointing you forward to that moment when you would stand before his throne. And it's Jesus. You will look like Jesus. As we're preparing to move this week is... Uh, Ken talked about earlier, we're, 
Would you pray for us, please? I, I, it is Moving is always fun. Uh, it's one of the most stressful things you can experience, moving is. You're packing your entire life up into boxes and you're trying to, to live for a week or two weeks, you know, half in boxes and half out of boxes and trying to decide what can we live without and what can we, what do we have to have? And, and now let, not only is moving stressful, but now how about moving for the third time in two years? Because that's what we're going through. And just for good measure, why don't you throw a nationwide stay-at-home order in there just to spice things up a bit? Uh, so that's that's what we're going through. But when you move, you go through a lot of stuff. You start to throw stuff out and get rid of things, and you go through things to see what's broken and what needs to be kept, what can be repaired, what should be trashed. One of the things that happened this week was that my mom, Sandy, was chosen to go through the puzzles and make sure we had all the pieces. I don't know if she was chosen or whether she volunteered, but uh, that was she got to go through the puzzles that we had in the closet. So how do you determine if you have all the pieces? You put it together. And when you're assembling a puzzle, what are you looking at? You're not looking at the mess of the pieces that are scattered you know, all over the table. You're looking at the box top. That's how you know. You're looking at what it will look like when it's finished because that's how you know what to put where. And here's the thing. God's not looking at your mess. He's looking at Jesus, and that's who we're going to look like when all is said and done. That's the final chapter of our incredible faith story. Let me wrap up with this story. In the year 1464, there was a sculptor named Agostino di Duccio. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that right. I don't speak Italian, so I apologize. And he began working on this huge piece of flawed marble. And he set out to produce a, this magnificent sculpture of an Old Testament prophet for a cathedral in Florence, Italy. And he labored for two years, and then he stopped. He gave up. So now, 1476, 12 years later, a different sculptor named Antonio Rossellino started to work on the same piece of marble that was left there. And in time, he abandoned it as well. He gave up. Now, 1501, 25 years later, a 26-year-old sculptor named Michelangelo was offered a considerable sum of money to produce something worthwhile from this enormous block of marble just called the giant. And as he began his work on this marble, he saw this major flaw near the bottom that had given these other sculptors fits. This is why they gave up, because they couldn't work around this flaw in the marble. And he decided to turn that part of the stone into a broken tree stump that would support the right leg of the, of the figure. And he worked on the marble uh, for four years until he had produced the, really, the incomparable David. And today, this 17-foot-tall statue uh, stands on display at a gallery in Florence where people come from all around the world to view this statue. More than a masterpiece, it is one of the greatest works of art ever produced. And it has been said there is no statue more perfect than Michelangelo's David. So how did he do it? How did he carve this statue? Here is the answer in, in Michelangelo's own words. He said, in every block of marble, I see a statue as plain as though it stood before me, shaped and perfect in attitude, in action. And I have only to hew away the rough walls that imprison the lovely apparition to reveal it to the other eyes as mine seen it. Now, let me just kind of paraphrase that and summarize that. If you want to say what David or what Michelangelo said plainly, I cut away everything that didn't look like David. That's how he makes statues. He cuts away everything that didn't look like David. 
Now apply this to the spiritual life. All of us are works in progress. We are not finished. We are not glorified. We're not perfected. We're not completed. We're all under construction. And if you've ever visited a construction zone while the work is going on, it's hard to imagine what the final result will be. But God never stops working on us because there's so much work that needs to be done. I picture God as, as kind of a spiritual sculptor working with a rough piece of marble. And he's working on this big chunk of flawed marble named Jeff Kosak. And it's a hard job because the stone is badly chipped. It's misshapen. It's discolored. It's cracked in places. And it's about the worst piece of marble a sculptor could ever find to work with. But God is not deterred. And he works patiently at his job, chipping away the bad parts, chiseling an image into this hard stone, stopping occasionally to polish here and there. And one day he finally finishes one section of this statue. And the next morning when he returns to the studio, that section is messed up again. And he says, I thought I finished that yesterday. Who's been messing with my statue? Turns out it was me. I am my own worst enemy because what I thought would improve things only messes them up again. But God is faithful. He patiently picks up his chisel and he goes back to work. And here's what I want you to understand. When God is working on me, when God is working on you, he's chipping away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. That's what God is doing in our lives. He's chipping away. He's removing. He's brushing away. He's polishing anything in our lives that doesn't look like Jesus He's bringing things into our lives. He's causing us to be, you know, to experience discomfort in some areas. He's giving us wins to celebrate. He's giving us opportunities to serve. All of the things that happen in our lives are designed to chip away those things that don't look like Jesus. In my case and yours as well, it's evident that God has a long way to go. But God's not going to quit halfway through a project because when God starts, he finishes. In fact, Jesus' final words on the cross were, it is finished. When Jesus declared it is finished on the cross, it wasn't just for himself, it was for you and it was for me. Think of those five words at the beginning of verse 24. God will make this happen. God will make this happen. They are simple and direct. There's no qualification to them. There's no hesitation. There's no doubt of any kind. Just five words. God will make this happen. Not he may do it. He might do it. He could do it. He'll do it if he feels like it. Not even he will do it if we do our part. Just a simple statement that God will do it. God will make this happen. When it's all said and done, what matters is not me holding tightly to God, but what matters is his grip on me. One day we will stand before Jesus, whole and complete. No more hammering, no more sawing, no more polishing needed. Some days it feels like we're not making much progress, but that's okay because the Father knows what he's doing. Little by little, he's chipping away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. And you've heard me pray it many, many times, just about every Sunday morning when we gather together and I have an opportunity to pray for our church and to pray for the service. One of the things that I pray in, in almost every prayer is, God, by the end of today, would you help us to look a little bit more like Jesus? I've been praying that prayer for years and years and years because I think it's so important why? Because that's what sanctification is all about. 
That's what this is. It's about us looking more like Jesus. And if I'm growing in my faith, it doesn't mean I gain more knowledge. It doesn't mean that I do more things. What it means ultimately is that I look more like Jesus. Ask yourself that question. What needs to happen in my life to cause me to look more like Jesus? And look for those windows that God is going to point you towards. One day, all of us unfinished people will be made completely holy. And we will stand before Jesus blameless in his sight. And we know it's true because God finishes what he starts. Would you pray with me? And as we get ready to pray, I just want to challenge you this morning and, and ask you this morning where you're at in this process. You know, we're all a slab of marble. But the question is, have you allowed God to begin to shape you? Have you allowed God to begin to shape you into that image of Jesus? And when we say yes to Jesus in our lives and we say yes to God, that's ultimately what we're saying is, God, would you begin that process of making me look more like Jesus? Knowing that God sees the end result. And so I want to ask you this morning, if you're, if you're sitting there and, and you're, you're kind of experiencing a little bit of inner turmoil because you know you've been keeping God at a distance, you've been holding him back, you've been, you've been uh, not allowing him to shape you. You haven't cooperated with the Holy Spirit in this process. Maybe you haven't even begun. Maybe you've never asked God to come into your life and forgive you and ask God to make you a new person. We have that opportunity at any time to say, God, come into my life. And so this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. You see, Jesus came to this earth not just to teach, and he did a whole lot of teaching, but he came to live and show us what a life looks like that is God-honoring. And then at the end of his life, even though he lived a perfect life, he surrendered his life for me and for you. You see, the Bible tells us that our sin, and sin is basically saying what I want is more important than what God wants. I'm going to reject God's plan and I'm going to follow my plan. When we sin, the Bible tells us that sin separates us from God. And what we earn because of our sin is death. Separation from God, not just in this lifetime, but for all eternity. And God loves us so much, he, he doesn't want to be separated from his creation. He wants us to have a love relationship with him. He wants us to know him, and he wants to know us and, and have relationship with us. But because God is holy and pure, he can't have relationship with sin, with things that aren't pure. And so Jesus paid the price. He paid the death penalty that we deserved. He surrendered his life, and it, the Bible says that he took my sin onto the cross, that my sin was nailed to the cross with Jesus. Three days later, Jesus was resurrected. He came back to life and he won victory over sin and death. Not just sin and death, but my sin, and the death that I deserved. And he won victory over that and he gives me the opportunity to receive eternal life. And so this morning as we close in prayer, I want to give you the opportunity to follow Jesus today. And all you have to do is just say a quick prayer right there in, in, in your living room or your garage or, or on your porch or wherever you're at listening to this. And just say, God, I'm sorry I messed up. Would you forgive me? Jesus, come into my life. I want to follow you. 
God, would you begin the process of making me look more like Jesus? A simple prayer like that, and God will begin that work in you. So let me pray for us. And if you're, if you're needing to pray that prayer this morning, I just want to encourage you to do that. And if, if, if you do that this morning and God does something in your life, would you just reach out to me later and send me a message on Facebook or send me an email or send me a text and just let me know, hey, Pastor Jeff, this is what God did in my life today because I'd love to come alongside you and take this journey with you. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much today for all the work that you do in our lives. Jesus, we thank you for the work that you've already done. And Jesus, you surrendered your life on the cross so that I could experience new life. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would continue the work in us. God, that you would every day help us to become more and more like Jesus. In the way we love, in the way we treat other people, in the way we uh, deal with temptation, in the way that we experience life around us and respond to the world around us. God, let people see Jesus in the way that we act. And Lord, I pray that you would help us throughout our entire lives uh, to cooperate with you in this process. And God, we thank you that one day we will stand before you blameless because you will have made us that way. God, continue the work. God, we are all some assembly required people. In fact, most of us have a whole lot of assembly that needs to be done. But God, continue that process. We love you, we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless y'all.